Hashem Hashem Naseh V'Natzliach Shiru Torah Bukhina Baim We're back here continuing our series with the Igeret Agra where the Gaomi Vilna for uh, 200 uh, years ago wrote a uh, letter of course in his eyes a simple letter that uh, fulfills the Gemara for us where Chachamim, uh, uh, even their Divrei Chulin, their basic idle conversations, require Limud, and we've already done uh, more than a couple of dozen lectures uh, about this particular letter, and Bezot Hashem will have uh, at least another dozen lectures uh, to complete the letter, because we're studying each and every single line of this letter, and we see how much wisdom is in a uh, simple uh, idle letter uh, in the eyes of the Gra, of course, uh, but in our eyes, of course, the uh, endless words of Chokhmah. Tonight's you will be for a refuah shlema for Rabbanit Levana bat Sarah, Rabbi Ephraim ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah bat Anat, Avi Mori David ben Esriah, Imi Morati Doris bat Jora, Orit bat Ilana. And also for a atzlacha raba for Amir ben Shahin. Marsha bat Julie, Ayla bat Marsha, Samuel ben Marsha, Alexander ben Marsha, Louis ben Marsha, Sephas ben Marsha, Shaul ben Farzane, Itro ben Avraham, Oshri ben Doris, Gabi ben Doris, Elad ben Doris, and David ben Nasriya, and all of Am Yisrael and all of the righteous Noahais that continue to contribute and help us do all the things that we're doing, Baruch Hashem. Okay, a couple of brief updates. Uh, this week is the... Uh, is the uh, Big week. It's a very big week for the uh, issues of Tikkun Abrit. We have a uh, not much left in the uh, in in regards to the uh, Zman of the Shovavim, uh, and I highly recommend for everybody to uh, take advantage of the opportunity we have at the Kiruv store, where you can get yourself uh, some copies of this uh, USB that typically sells for fifty dollars. Uh, that uh, will uh, help anybody that has ears and anyone that has eyes so long as they're willing to hear and they're willing to see the truth for what it is. Uh, you can get yourself uh, 10 or more of copies of this USB uh, in the U.S. along with some uh, books about the issues of wasting seed, immorality, countless sources from the Gemara, Shulchan Aruch, uh, Poskim, uh, and uh, at least give everybody a chance to get themselves educated enough uh, to fix this particular uh, issue, as the Chachamim uh, uh, have told us in um, the Sefer Or Ganuz. Uh, Or Ganuz says that the Mashiach will not arrive in a generation that uh, has issues of Brit, meaning that the Mashiach will only arrive after enough people according to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's calculation, after enough people have done tshuva for wasting seed, for immorality. And unfortunately today we see that there are uh, many people that are getting worse and worse. Uh, there's even, uh, unfortunately, rabbis or leaders, politicians, all types of people that uh, society expects more from them, but they're being exposed as immoral people uh, for all types of uh, things starting with the, uh, the, the basic obvious uh, that, of course, people get arrested for, uh, to things that people don't think is so obvious, like seeing a uh, rabbi or a uh, Orthodox Jew, uh, you know, uh, hugging a woman that's not his uh, wife 
or even hugging his own wife in, in public, both being forbidden uh, according to our holy Torah. But the point being is that the issues of morality, everyone with eyes that uh, are willing to see and ears that are willing to hear knows that this is a major problem in society today. Uh, the world is full of filth, and Baruch Hashem, we had the merit to make countless hours uh, of learning and uh, you know and teaching about this uh, issue that uh, you can find in this uh, USB. So if you go to the kiruvstore.org, kiruv, K-I-R-U-V, store.org, and you will get yourself uh, some copies of this. Again, like I said, it's free. We're trying to be uh, investors in the, uh, you know, in, this, in people. Uh, we're trying to be investors in people's uh, uh, tshuva. Of course, for those of you that uh, do not uh, know anybody at all, you live in some, uh, I don't know, hole in the wall, or perhaps, uh, you know, you, everybody around you are old tzaddikim, no one has this issue, uh, or you simply live outside of the United States, uh, you know, but you still want to contribute, you could uh, go to that same Kiruv store and sponsor these. Each, uh, each Shovavim package is about $600. You could sponsor yourself one, two, fifty, a hundred, whatever you want. Uh, and at least get yourself uh, something. Get yourself something uh, in, this, uh, in this regards. Uh, of course, those of us that uh, are, uh, you know, uh, still doing tshuva for, uh, you know, on a daily basis, realize that the uh, tikkun of Gamabrit, of wasting seed, is not a uh, cheap tikkun. Uh, and uh, people that want explanation for it, uh, go to tikkunabrit.live. Tikkun Habrit is T as in uh, Tikkun, I-K-K-U-N, uh, Habrit, H-A-B-R-I-T, dot live, not dot com or dot org, dot live, L-I-V-E. So do Tikkun Habrit in order to live forever. Over there, there's a written explanation based on the uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and uh, the Arizal of uh, what Tikkun Habrit uh, really uh, is. And uh, aside from, uh, of course, Stopping the sin is a uh, tikkunim that people should do uh, uh, in order to eliminate the sin from their past, whether they can do one tikkun uh, a week, one tikkun a month, one tikkun every few months, whatever their affordability is, but it's definitely something that is uh, recommended. It also brings a lot of bracha as far as panasai and zivug to a person's life. So uh, go to tikkunabrit.live. I know a lot of people have asked me if they should send uh, different uh, places around the world that uh, have rabbis praying for them, if they should send them money to do a tikkun, uh, there is no greater tikkun than to help other people do tshuva. And that's what we do. Uh, specifically with this, uh, with these USBs and uh, shiurim and so on. Uh, so yes, a prayer is good, but it's nowhere near as significant as uh, actually helping other people do tshuva because while uh, a, a prayer can help a person to a certain extent, other people doing tshuva will uh, magnify the effect uh, endless times because each time that person that has done tshuva uh, uh, is, is not sinning, it counts as a uh, erasal of the other person, of the person that helped them uh, do tshuva. So calculate how many times uh, a person has sinned and how many times a person was supposed to sin and you have yourself a major winner, Baruch Hashem. So uh, a, uh, this is something that's recommended really for all uh, adults, uh, uh, because, uh, you know, even David Amelech mentions that, uh, uh, you know, in the Teilim, that the sins of the young 
uh, are, uh, are something to be concerned of. And the sins of the young is referring to Tikkun Abrit. So with that being said, we're going to uh, uh, continue our series. We have Parashat uh, Tetzaveh. It tells us that HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hu is commanding Moshe Rabbeinu and Am Yisrael to continue uh, building this Mishkan, to, uh, to now have the Kohanim, to do a lot of interesting things that, uh, you know, Be'ezot Hashem will get to see once the third Bet HaMikdash is built. Uh, and uh, one of the interesting things that uh, we see is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu requires that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and the children of Israel take for themselves a Shemen Zait Zach, a clear olive oil. Clear olive oil. Why not just why not just regular olive oil? Why not corn oil? Why not anything else? Shemen Zait Zach is in essence symbolic of a righteous person, a, uh, a righteous person that's clean. Not that that uh, you know the the Shemen Zait didn't start off clean. Uh, the Shemen Zait was started off as like any other Shemen, like any other oil. You have to take out all of the filth out of it. The same thing is in regards to the making of a righteous person. Uh, you know, the righteous person doesn't start off righteous like some people see. When they see the Gdolim, when they see the, the Gaon Mivilna or Rabovadia or Rabbi Akiva or, or any of the righteous people that we've talked about in the past, we see the, uh, the stories of what happened in their lives. And many times it's after they've already done Shuva and fixed themselves and so on. So it looks like, oh, they were probably born this way. No, but even Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't born that way. As the Midrash says, that Moshe Rabbeinu once had a uh, a king sent messengers to him uh that uh, wanted to draw him draw the the the, uh, the face of of Moshe Rabenu and uh they drew Moshe Rabenu and then they came back to the king and the king saw this image and then he gave this uh art this you know to his uh uh to his experts that knew how to read the face of a person and tell you about this person so these people uh, these experts told the king they didn't know who who was being drawn. They told them, "Listen, this person is a murderer. This person is an angry person. This person." And again, they're referring about Moshe Rabenu. And at that time, he's at Mount Sinai. So this is a uh, Moshe Rabenu at its peak. Uh, and uh, here we have these uh, people are telling the king, this uh, uh, you know non-Jewish king that uh, the image that was drawn by the artist of the king is an image of a person that's angry, that's a murderer, that's a adulterer, that's all the worst possible things you could have. The king immediately got angry because he knew who the picture was of, and he said, either the experts that I have interpreting the face are liars, and they're really not experts, they're just liars, or the artist really didn't go and see Moshe Rabbeinu, they didn't really see Moses, the Jewish leader, uh, and they really uh, just came back with nothing. So both, of course, uh, are, uh, you know, decreed to die, but they, they both plead to the king, please, please, don't kill us, we really are telling you the truth. Now the king was a wise king and said, okay, you know what, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to have to validate, I'm going to see, I'm going to go to the desert and go see this Moses. And see which one of you is a liar. And as you would have it, the king goes to the desert, is welcomed to see Moshe Rabbeinu, and he sees that Moshe Rabbeinu looks exactly like the pictures. 
exactly like the pictures immediately he turns to his wise men and he tells him you're all liars i'm gonna kill every single one of you Moshe Rabbeinu tells the king no your highness they're not liars what they said was right they see on my face what I was born with I was born with anger I was born with the trait to kill I was born with certain traits that would have a desire for immorality he says yeah but you 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 speak to God and you you're a righteous person how could that be he says I was born that way but I used the Torah to soften myself I used the Torah to make myself a pure olive oil each person that is doing tshuva has to know that wherever you started is not necessarily as important as wherever you're planning on going but that's not going to be a simple process it's not going to be a quick process and quite frankly it's not going to be a process that ends during your lifetime it's supposed to end at the end of your lifetime because if it ends during your lifetime then typically you have gone astray so HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks Moshe Rabbeinu to uh, uh, bring the, for Am Yisrael, bring for the Bet HaMikdash, for the uh, Mishkan, the desert, a uh, clear olive oil. And uh, this, these types of tools and the, uh, the Kwanim, the vestments, all the different things that are happening here, they, uh, all of these things have to be handled by specific people, not just anybody. And here in a Pasuk, in chapter 28, verse number 3, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, So he says, And you shall speak to all the wise-hearted people whom have invested with the spirit of wisdom, and they shall make the vestments of Aaron to sanctify him to minister to me. Meaning that the, the vestments, the clothing, if you will, that uh, the Kohen had were not something that some fashion uh, designer uh, full of filth and immorality in his mind could actually uh, make. It's something, it's only somebody that had special wisdom that HaKadosh Baruch Hu instilled into that person. But here we learn is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't instill that wisdom into just anybody. He didn't instill that wisdom into anybody just because of his, uh, you know, which family he was from, how tall he was, how short he was, how rich he was, how poor he was, because these are all things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu blesses a person with. He specifically says that uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave this Ruach uh, Chochmah, this spirit of wisdom, to who? The Chachme Lev, those that are wise-hearted people. What is a wise hearted person why do i why do i care about wise-hearted people so much that uh i make them or uh, you know of course it's, it's in, a, in a third person or in a, in a, Hashem makes them into a uh a special people they're going to design the vestments of the kohen gadol that's going to speak to akadosh baruch Hu and pray for am Yisrael and the kodesh kodeshim and is such a special person that uh, is uh, chosen to be the only one that is allowed to enter the Kodesh Kodeshim. Why do I need somebody that is a wise-hearted person to put those clothes together? Why not just somebody that's talented? So, of course, 
the uh, Chachamim that we have there uh, have told us time and time again that uh, the wisdom of the Torah is endless and uh, we need the Chachamim we need the sages in order to interpret things for us in order to let us know how do I get from point A to point B how do I get from thinking that I'm religious enough to really being a server of a, a ser- you know a servant of Hashem me being a person that's religious in his heart to really being a religious in real life me being somebody that's anti-god to being somebody that's promoting god non-stop me being somebody that cares less to somebody that can't stop caring how do i get from this point a of 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 uh, of nothingness and 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 terrible state to a place where kadosh wants me to be now the chafetz chaim said that the Talmidei Chachamim are like the prophets of the past. They are the Tzofim. They are the ones who see. Where in uh, each Talmid Chacham obligates, is obligated to warn the people that are in his vicinity and make them fear. Fear for their lives because of the explicit verses in the Torah and the prophets that foretell the woe to all those people that turn away from the Torah. And therefore, this Talmud Chacham must make sure that no one regards these verses as a joke. So we see that these Chachamim, these Chachamim that we are going to tell us how to get from point A to point B, the Chafetz Chaim says they use a strategy. What is that strategy? That strategy is to warn us. Warnings are not fun. Warnings are not something that comes with a, uh, you know, pretty music warnings are usually not something that is soft-spoken warnings are scary as they're intended to be because the the bigger the consequence the uh the more serious the message and the gaon Vilna told us last week that one of the ways that a person can get an understanding of these warnings is by learning sifre musal learning the books of musal such as Mishle, which is Proverbs, or uh, Kohelet, uh, the Ecclesiastes, or other books of Musa that are uh, that were written by the Chachamim using the sources from the Torah, and of course anyone that has learned a little bit of Alacha or you know words of the Poskim or Gemara or uh, or Hasidut or anything else, and anyone that learned enough has run into words of Musa. And many times harsh words harsh words that are scary anyone that has not been scared by their Torah learning simply has not learned so how could it be that someone can say that they learned the entire Shas but still desecrate Hashem's name on a regular basis how could it be that somebody can say they learned enough to become a rabbi but still be someone that's immoral how could it be someone that has learned a lot of uh, Musar books, but still be addicted to wasting seed and immorality. How could such things be? So you have many people that have learned Musar from different aspects of the Torah, different places in the Torah, whether it be the Gemara or be a uh, uh, the uh, uh, Sifre Musar or even an Alacha. Musar is everywhere. How could it be that there are certain people that have read Musar, that have read Mishle, that have read uh, a uh, Kohelet, but yet they continue being addicted? to the ways of the Yetzirah rather addicted than addicted to the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How could it be? 
This is what the Gaon Mivilna will elaborate for us now, Be'ezrat Hashem. So he says the following, Aval, chas v'shalom lo tachlit lekriyat levad, ki b'ze en mitpael ha'adam. Gam kama b'nei adam kor'in b'sifre musar ve'ena mitpaalim. Ve'u b'shvila niskar lemaala ve'od. Here the Gaomi Vilna gives us clear instructions which we will elaborate on of why there are people that can learn Musa, love Musa, but yet remain Reshaim Arurim or simply remain wicked people according to the Torah because they're addicted to immorality, addicted to all types of sins. Even though they've learned Musal and sometimes even do things that you cannot believe. You cannot believe that this person has ever learned a single day of Musal. All types of things, all types of stories that I've seen or I've heard and, 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 and you just can't believe that such a person has ever learned a, a page of Torah in their life. Needless to say, Musal, the, the, the teaching that is supposed to soften a person's neshama and make them a better person, ethical teachings. How could you spend your time learning ethical teachings and be unethical? It doesn't make any sense. But yet there are countless people just like this. Although we don't believe the story of this Goldberg character that says that somebody threatened him uh, and, and called his daughter and so on, even if it's true, even if it's true, as I've said in the past, the reality is that such a person that called to and, and gave a death threat to a nine-year-old kid or to a adult, whoever it was, or to both, obviously is a person that did not apply the musar they were learning to their life. They just took whatever they were learning and simply made it into whatever they wanted just to project the pre-existing anger they already had. But of course, this is not the only case in the world. There are many times where you have people that say they are learning Musa. Even Goldberg himself, he has a class where he teaches the Ramchal, but yet is obviously publicly lying to his audience and whoever wastes their time listening to him doing things that are jeopardizing Jewish people while telling them, I love the Jewish people. And of course, there are many others like him. Some are rabbis, some are not. Some people will say, listen, they have read, uh, you know, dozens of books about Musa, but yet they're unethical people. I one time uh, spoke to a uh, poor woman that was married to a guy that considered himself not only a Talmud Chacham that was giving shurim, but an expert in Musa. But yet she was calling me, crying hysterically, asking me if I could help her. Why? Because her husband is a monster. A monster to say the least. And anyone can figure out the reasons and the hows and the whys and all that other stuff. And I told her, well, maybe uh, you should learn Musa. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. I'm calling you and crying because he supposedly is a Musa expert. Anytime I tell him, you know, uh, please, maybe uh, this, maybe that. He said, listen, everything you can tell me, I already know. I read over 40 different Musar books. 
I'm an expert in Musar, but yet he's a monster. How could such a thing be? The Gaon Vilna elaborates and says, although he said, go learn the Musar books, the Kohelet, the Ecclesiastes, or other books that you're uh, interested in. God forbid that the reading of these Musar books should become the sole objective. For this reading of Musar books alone does not transform a person. Indeed, there are many people who read Musar works and they're not transformed. This is because of what we have mentioned above, which is that reading alone does not affect change in a person. How could such a thing be that a person could watch a shiur Torah from someone that is scaring them, telling them about the consequence of their crimes, what's going to happen in this world or the next, and yet the person will care less and even make fun of it, or simply it'll come in and out simultaneously. How could such a thing be? How could somebody... Tell you, listen, look at my library. I have Mesilat Yesharim, you know, Path of the Just. I have Sharet Shuba. I have this, I have that. I've read all of them. But yet, his kids are scared to even say his name because of how dangerous this person is. Or the, the kids are scared to ask the mother for food because of how scary she is. Oh, people do things that are contrary to what they're learning. You have all types of people in the world where they say, listen, I don't know what got into me, but uh, I just decided to leave. What do you mean you decided to leave? To leave what? No, I don't know. I decided to leave in the middle of work. What, do you, what is your job? Oh, I, uh, I, I uh, babysit kids uh, for, uh, for somebody, and uh, I decided to leave. Well, what happened with the kids? Well, I don't know. But they, you know, the, the, the owner left me a message, and I'm scared to listen to it. What do you mean? Where did you leave the kids? Oh, I left them in front of the school. Did they have another way home? I don't know. I got so mad at them. They didn't want to get into the car. I just left. Like, what? You irresponsible person. Did you ever think about that? No, they don't think about that. They don't think about that. Or people that take, uh, you know, people's money and do what they want with it instead of what they were supposed to do with it. Didn't you earn this person's trust? Didn't you work on earning this person's trust? How did you take that money and use it for things that are against everything you said? I don't know what get into me. So how could it be that sometimes those very same people have heard, have read Musa works, but yet they were not affected? The Gaormi Vilna is saying that this is not a new thing. In fact, there are people that read Musa works, but they're not transformed. Nothing happens. They'll watch a Musa lecture and still remain the very same animal they were and sometimes an even more dangerous animal sometimes they'll use the musar that they know as a weapon rather than as something that will make them a better person there's a joke that's you can learn musar from where there was one time an arrogant young man that uh, refused every shiduch that the rabbi sent him no girl was good enough for him. He viewed himself as a chacham, as a special person, like this arrogant young kid told me one time, listen, Rabbi, I'm not a regular person. I'm, 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 you have to talk to me with respect. 
<laughs> okay, blocked. You know, so you know, people like that. It's really you can't help people like that because whatever you say is is deleted before it enters. And unfortunately, people like that exist in the world. And this guy, every t- it was time for him to get married. But every time the rabbi would suggest for for him to marry somebody, hey, what about this young girl? She comes from a from house, good girl, pure. What's wrong? Go on a date. Oh yeah, I went on a date with the rabbi. No, nah, no, nah, it's not for me. It's not for me. Well, what's wrong with her? I I just noticed that this that there's always something. Sometimes it's the looks, sometimes it's the behavior, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. They forget that they themselves are not exactly perfect. I had one time a guy tell me, listen, Rabbi, this girl, she's a really good girl, and tzaddikah, uh, everything is good. I'm just, I have one concern. Well, what's the concern? Although she's religious her whole life, when she was born, her parents weren't religious. I mean, I don't know. That, that may hurt the neshama, right, Rabbi? I should throw this girl out, right? I shouldn't marry somebody like that. And I'm thinking to myself, am I talking to the same person that was crying to me three months ago about how he's addicted to pornography? Am I talking to the same person how a year and a half ago was crying to me about how he doesn't know how to return the money that he stole? Am I talking to the same person that has told me endless amount of sins over the last five years that I know him? And yet this guy thinks that now that he stopped stealing and he gave some money back and now that he's protecting his breed for a couple of months, ooh, ah, he's already Yosef Tzadik and therefore a girl that was born to parents that were Baalet Shuva, maybe that will hurt our neshama. And it's baffling to me, but of course I can't say this. I have, I think it. I say no, it's okay. Bezat Hashem, she's tzaddikah. You have nothing to worry about. And Bezat Hashem, all will work out. But unfortunately, sometimes people do not look in a mirror, as the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat and several other places says. En adam a person does not see the obligation in himself. So this back to the story of this young man. Every girl that the rabbi will bring him was not good enough. There was always something not good. So, of course, the rabbi is a chacham and knew that it's not really the girl, it's really the guy. So he told him, listen, perhaps you should go to my friend. He is a very, very good rabbi. Go learn with him for six months. And come back. Perhaps that's going to open up your, the, the, uh, the gate. To help you uh, find your zivug. Now why did he send him to this rabbi friend? Because this rabbi friend was an expert in Musal. So perhaps to teach this person some humility. To see that the shortage is not in the girls but rather in him. So he sent him there. Six months later this kid comes back. And he says, how was it? He says, rabbi, amazing. Six months I'm learning about how to be a humble person. And what do you think? Oh, I loved it. Hey, listen, I'm humble. <laughs> so, okay, you ready to go on a shiduch? Yeah, of course. Well, listen, one of the girls you went with, and, and you met her a couple of times, she's still interested in perhaps meeting you again. What do you think? No, Rabbi, she, 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 wasn't, she wasn't, wasn't for me. What do you mean she wasn't for you? She, she comes from a firm family. 
She's a good girl. Everything is good. What's the problem? Well, I just don't think that she comes from such a, you know, such a family that are really all chachamim to my caliber. I already knew that six months ago. Now that I'm humble, for sure she's not good enough for me. <laughs> so as funny as this is, this is unfortunately a reality in some parts of the world where you have certain people that they learn Musa, they learn about humility, but that makes them arrogant. The actual Musar they learn makes them arrogant. Instead of making them more humble, instead of making them less angry, instead of making them less stingy, instead of making them all of those things that it's the intention is, it does the exact opposite effect. Why? Because they're using the Musar as an intellectual endeavor. As the Gaon Mivilna says, God forbid that the reading should be the sole objective. They read the Musar book. And that's where it ends. They read it. They read the Path of the Just, the Mesilat Yesherim. They read Sharet Shuva. They read Chovot Levavot, Or Israel, all of the greatest Musar books. They read them. They read the Sheet Chokhmah. They read. They read. You can even test them. Say, listen, do you read those books? Of course. If I ask you some questions about those books, you could answer? Of course. You ask them the questions. They answer. This, this, this. They know where it is. They even know the sources. They even know the pages sometimes. They know. So wait a minute. So you know about the gate... You know about the the, the you know the, the need to be clean, the need to do this, you know, clean of sins, the need to be zealous, the need to the, you know about all this. Yeah. But you just did A B C and E F G. What gives? What's going on? I don't know what got into me, Rabbi. Exactly. Nothing got into you. You read the book. You watched the lecture, but nothing got into you. You know the information, but nothing got into you. That's why anger was still there. That's why stinginess was still there. That's why your ego is still bigger than the equator. In fact, it even got bigger. That's why you still think that you're better than everybody else despite going through the entire Igeret Aranban that is all about how you should make your friend, your fellow, greater than you in your own eyes and realize that it's you that needs to do work, not necessarily him first. You recite these things to your friends, to your family, but yet you yourself don't even think it applies to you. How could it be? Because the person reads and that's where it ends. That's where it ends. And that's actually, Rabotai, not a new thing. The Sharet Shuva by Rabbeinu Yonah says that there are people that will not have any change as a result of their learning of Musar so long as they don't awaken themselves. And he says, if a person will not awaken himself, 
What good will the Musar lessons do for him? Because the Igeret Agra, the, the uh, Ramban, said that a person has to, after he completes his learning, has to delve into what he learned and see what he can apply. If a person does not do that second part, unfortunately, what he learned will be unhelpful and in fact could even be destructive. Not that without it, it's a uh, it's 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 better off. But nonetheless, he's not taking the teachings to what they're supposed to be. Now the Gemara has a teaching about this. The Gemara in Masechet Megillah, in uh, page twenty-eight B, has an interesting teachings by the sages of an act, of an event that took place. Here in this section, the Gemara is talking about how all of these different Chachamim, our sages from yesteryear, would do eulogies for different uh, Torah scholars. Rabbi Zera, Resh Lakish, oh, they uh, themselves would do eulogies and esped for different Torah scholars and how they would speak good words about these people and uh, cry over them. And one time, there was a uh, certain Torah scholar that died. And uh, they asked Rav Nachman to do an esped on him, to do a eulogy, say a eulogy on him. Who is this Torah scholar? What was, uh, what was, uh, they don't say his name, but what was the story? This Torah scholar, people considered him a chacham. He learned the uh, Alachot, the, uh, 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 he learned the Sifra, he learned the Sifri, and he learned the Tosefta. So this person learned the, uh, all of the Torah that, in essence, the oral Torah that was written at that time, he learned everything. He learned the Mishnayot, the Beretot, the Sifra, the Sifri, he learned everything. And he died. So they asked for one of the Gdolei Ador, Rab Nachman, to say uh, an esped on him. Rab Nachman is dumbfounded by what, what, what do you want me to say exactly? What do you want me to say? They're looking for him to say something nice about this. Chacham, he learned so much Torah. But Rab Nachman says, What uh, what exactly do you want me to eulogize exactly? That he's uh, what what that that he's praiseworthy. All I can see is that woe to the person, meaning this person had died, that he is a basket full of sacred books that have been lost. So Rashi says, what does it mean? Whoa, that this person is a basket full of books that has been lost. That although this scholar possessed a massive massive amount of information, like what was mentioned, the Sifra, the Sifri, Tosefta, and so on, he is like a basket holding many books. But unfortunately, he did not comprehend the material 
since he never acquired the tools of analysis by submitting himself to the tutelage of a Torah sage, which in Hebrew means shimush. He never had a Torah sage guide him, tell him what does it really mean. He simply relied on himself, relied on his own understanding. He studied by himself, no chavruta, just whatever he understood. He figured if I read the books, I have a brain, just like the Chacham has a brain. The rabbi has a brain, and I have a brain. So I don't need the rabbi. I could just read the books, and I'll understand the same thing like the rabbi does. But don't you know that the Gemara says, Chavuta omituta? It's better to die than not have a Chavuta. Never read that part? Yeah, I read it, but I figured that's only for some people. So therefore, Rav Nachman says this person is like a basket full of books where he read a lot of books, he knows a lot of information, but he never really comprehended what it actually says because he didn't apply it to his life. And therefore, he failed to grasp the reasoning behind the rulings, the reasoning behind the halachot, and was unable to deal with difficult and conflicting information. And that's why Rav Nachman did not regard him as a bona fide scholar. Rather, just somebody that knows a lot of information. That's it. Google also knows a lot of information. But we don't call Google Talmit Chacham. Google knows a lot of info. But it's not Talmit Chacham. Why? It doesn't know what to do with the info. There are plenty of people that know a lot of information but do not understand it to the capacity where they know how to apply it to their own life. And therefore, these very same people are the ones that end up becoming a Chilu Hashem rather than a Kiddush Hashem. They have information. They have enough information to write a book sometimes. They have information to give a lecture. They have information to lead a community but lead them astray and write things that are the opposite of what the truth is and live a life that's contrary to what they were supposed to because they started off at reading and they ended off at reading the most critical part of applying never took place now many times there are people that focus on learning based on quantity so person will start learning what are you doing oh i started i'm serious i'm committed great you're learning x amount of hours per day very good what are you learning oh i delve into the uh, shiul i watch a little bit of your shiul I read this book, I read this Gemara, I read this, this, I read, 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 read. Okay, great. Well, how's your life changing? Well, to be honest with you, Rabbi, it's a, um, I'm having some tough times. Well, what's tough times? Well, keeping Shabbat is, uh, is, is getting tougher. What do you mean it's getting tougher? I thought you were learning three, four hours a day. How can keeping Shabbat even be in question? How can keeping Shabbat be in question? Or are the times you'll see somebody learning in Yeshiva, but still wasting seed? How could that be? How could you commit a sin that the Shulchan Aruch says is the worst sin in the Torah? How could you do such a thing to yourself? Or other times you'll have people that will learn, learn a lot of information, but you'll see that it's not changing them. It's not changing them. 
because they think that the Torah is something that you're supposed to read as much as possible listen as much as possible and that in itself will make the change but it doesn't work that way it does not work that way change doesn't happen by itself change doesn't happen by itself the Gaomi Vilna is explaining to us that the lack of influence from Musar study is something that happens as a result of two things one that the person that studied only had an intent of reading it without any intention of actually internalizing the lessons that are contained within he'll read about how terrible it is to be a arrogant person but at no point did he actually question himself whether he is the arrogant person he's reading about he figures since i'm reading about arrogance surely this does not apply to me no one says i'm arrogant so everybody likes me so of course <laughs> i must not be arrogant so it's good to learn for the sake of learning he thinks to himself it's good to learn for the sake of learning but the second somebody says to him by the way you know that you are uh, what you said over shabbat is wrong right i didn't want to embarrass you in front of anybody but uh what you said is wrong what wrong what are you talking about you don't know what you're talking about i study he can't even accept any type of criticism whatsoever and yet he doesn't think he's arrogant that's one of the reasons why a person's learning of musa is not going to affect him he's not internalizing the lessons the second reason is that even after a person studies musa with an intention of actually fulfilling what it says it doesn't work anyway why because he doesn't take enough action because it's necessary to translate to mentally translate the directions the uh, advice the guidance the teachings that you learn in your musar into concrete actions when the appropriate situation arises and if a person does not start picturing these situations happening ahead of time when they do transpire he won't have the ability to do it in the world today something that became very popular unfortunately because the goyim popularized it and uh, a uh, rather than people learning Judaism is the word mantra where somebody will say something a certain message you know usually it's about success or happiness or something like that and they'll say I'm going to be happy I'm going to be happy I'm going to be happy or if they look in the uh, mirror and smile force themselves to smile for 20 minutes straight or if they say all types of different messages to themselves it's in essence supposed to affect a person and does have a certain temporary effect on a person it does but the reality is that mantra comes from our sages comes from the teachings of a Torah and the uh, uh the way that a person is supposed to use the, uh, the the teachings of Musar especially is by not only learning about arrogance not only learning about anger not only learning about all types of issues but actually take that teaching 
and start picturing something happening in their mind that would typically make them have that negative reaction and already start picturing themselves overcoming that obstacle yeah if she says that and he does this which typically makes me really really angry what am i going to do in order not to get angry oh and i'm going to think this i'm going to do this and he has to start already she has to start already living that experience without it actually happening meaning you're training yourself mentally not just by reading it one time by sometimes actually repeating it to yourself over and over visualizing the actual uh, uh, event itself and that's actually one of the things that Rabbi Israel Misalant Shalom, re, uh, re, reignited into the world with the Musar movement where in a sefer called Or Israel Rabbi Israel Misalant says that learning Musar the the basis and the foundation of it is to transform the person's essence and his Talmud Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer elaborated on Rabbi Israel's point what does it mean that this Musar teachings is supposed to transform the person to transform his essence what does it actually mean he says that Rabbi Sami Salant introduced something to the world that's called Musar Beit Pa'alut, which is learning Musar with enthused fervor. And this is what he wrote, Rabbi Tzach Blazer. The most beneficial is Musar when it's studied with enthused fervor. And our master, Rabbi Israel Misalan, changed the face of Musar study and clothed it in another form where in the past even those who at times learned Musar out loud they did so in a manner in a tone that's similar to learning Marain Poskim you're supposed to learn Torah out loud you learn Abaye Rava you know what's this what's that you're you're supposed to learn Torah out loud whatever you're learning you're supposed to learn it out loud that way it actually helps a, uh, uh, fulfill the mitzvah even better first and foremost you're using multiple senses you're going to be able to remember it because of that more you're you're not just using your eyes you're using your eyes you're using your speech you're using your ears in essence you're using multiple senses that's going to help you remember that Torah and remembering a Torah in itself in itself is of critical nature so much so that when they asked Arav uh, Elchanan Wasserman Allah Shalom how is it that the, the Rav remembers the entire Torah does the Rav uh, have such a great memory said to them no I don't have a good memory at all so how does the Rav remember the entire Torah he says very simple Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says in the Mishnah that a person that forgets Torah is his life is on the line meaning it's like a heavenly death penalty so I'm so afraid I'm so afraid of forgetting Torah that I remember the whole thing that's a person that's you know obviously compared to us this is like an angel among men but the point is is that this is a person that had Yirat Shemaim to the extent that that Yirat Shemaim that fear of heaven that he had was so deep internally that it changed his physical nature it changed his physical nature and of course this is not by simply reading a book 500 times this is by taking what Torah you're learning 
and doing whatever you can in order to apply it to your life because of course the Gemara says in Masechet Megillah uh, page 6 that uh, the, the the issue of uh, the matter of, of memory is all siyata dishmaya it's all a divine gift it's something that Hashem decides to give or not to give to a person but when a person shows how much they love Torah by taking whatever they learn and doing whatever they can to apply it to their life internalizing it looking at where they fit in where they don't fit in what they need to fix what they don't need to fix how they can apply each and every single word of Torah that they learn into their life into the life of their loved ones into their their, their world that they live in that person shows a Kadosh Baruch Hu that they hold his words dearly and for such a person surely a Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to want that person to keep that because they're trying to make themselves into a pure olive oil into a, uh, a pure tzaddik by their actions and therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help them as a uh, as it says a bali the Gemara says someone that comes to become purified HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives them a helping hand so comes a, a, a Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer and says that in the past people would learn uh, Musag and uh, but still it wouldn't work for them why they were learning it out loud which is good but in the same tone as they would learn Gemara and Poski. It was, or it was done quietly by just examining the words alone, which is how most people read. They'll take whatever book, they'll take a Or Israel, or they'll take a uh, whatever, Mesilot Yesharim, or whatever other book that they find as a Musar book. They'll, talk, they'll take Yesemit Bar my book, Baruch Hashem, Lehavdil, but they'll take a book and they'll read it with their eyes examine the words oh wow this one's good what the rabbi is saying is good wow okay next page next page and then you know swallow up words you have a uh some young people are you know able to swallow books a book you know book how many pages that one all right it's uh, 350 pages oh i'll have it done this month oh okay you have any other recommendations rabbi well, you finished the book already? Yeah, yeah, I finished it. It was only a few hundred pages. Okay, well, okay, here's another one. Okay, a couple of weeks later. Okay, you have anything else, Rabbi? Uh, yeah, here's another book. And you see this person is swallowing up books. So you figure this person, in this rate, is going to become, I don't know, do. But yet, a year, year and a half later, the person is still struggling with things that even uh, a, a new student doesn't struggle with anymore. Why? They're reading as an intellectual endeavor they're not applying they're not applying to their life they're reading it's it's mentally stimulating it's nice to hear oh this is great it's entertaining but nothing is being applied they're more concerned about completing the book or it's like people that a attend a lecture and the whole time they're waiting wait when is the rabbi going to finish why he's already going for an hour and a half he's really gonna go the whole two hours and when they hear one of the people say no no sometimes it goes more than two hours Ooh, wow really a person like this why'd you come why'd you come the whole point of coming to a lecture that is gonna teach you musal is for what for you to change for you to change in essence by attending you're acknowledging at least that's what you're supposed to be acknowledging that you are work in progress you're coming to change 
you're coming to learn something that's going to help you become better so if you already have been doing the wrong thing for 20 30 years why do you think that it's okay for you to be in a hurry to get the solution doesn't make any sense but that's what happens many times people are like oh already two hours or even better yet they'll come to a lecture listen for two hours or they'll watch the lecture online listen for two hours nothing will happen why do you remember anything about the lecture yeah yeah he said uh, it's bad to do this and all types of other things what's this what, what did he say bad what, 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 what anything applied to you yeah I guess some things applied to me well give me an example of something that applied to you I don't remember exactly right now but what do you mean but you just watched it five minutes ago what do you mean you don't remember what applied to you what are you going to do about this lecture you're going to do something in your life yeah I'm going to try to be a good person wait so you needed this lecture to tell you to be a good person no I already knew that so what was the point of the lecture I like it why what is it doing for you person doesn't have an answer why because they're coming into the lecture without any actual strategy of I'm gonna try to take this information from this book from this lecture and try to pick it apart to be able to apply to my life take something applied to my life a million times I've told people that watch my lectures write down what I say how many listen very few very few why people are spiritually lazy they figure listen I'm listening I'll remember you won't remember how about this even the speaker doesn't remember everything that he says sometimes people tell me remember rabbi you said such and such I said I don't remember no no you said it uh, you know six months ago oh thanks for reminding me oh right, tell me listen I heard this that da, da, da. I'm like wow whoever said that is really smart really good what's he doing she goes no you're the one that said it like oh okay I said it what do you think I remember everything I say if I don't remember everything that I say how are you gonna remember everything that I said but that's the thing people they don't want to push that extra mile they don't want to go that extra mile why because they don't see it as extremely necessary they don't see it as extremely valuable to the same capacity it's supposed to be thereby they could literally be watching lectures for a year two years five years 20 years and still stay the same thing of course Baruch Hashem HaKadosh has mercy on us and he sends us many people that also change that do improve that do become better but not everybody hence the reason why we have to use some secret weapons which we'll get to in a moment to help people push themselves even when they're not intending on pushing themselves but Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer says that when a person is learning Musal in the same fashion as they learn Gemara or they learn Poskim or in the same fashion as they learn other books they do it quietly or they just uh, do it in a certain tone that's calm that can affect he says our master Rabbi Yisraeli Misalant taught us a deeper methodology of learning Musal where there are two aspects of benefiting from studying for Musal the first one we already discussed where a person has to come into it with a uh, learning Musa with enthused fervor and the second is the inspiration whereby studying Musa works one's heart will be set aflame and his soul is transformed and it will be awakened within him the fear of Hashem that's the goal of learning is to awaken the fear of Hashem that's supposed to be there 
Now, to become merely knowledgeable in Musar concepts, there's no difference of how a person studies them. Even its basic comprehension is adequate. Meaning, if you just want to learn the basics of what's good and bad, you can do it in any way. But to actually apply it to your life cannot be done in, a, uh, in any way. It has to be done in a specific way. For the purpose of acquiring a true sense of awe, to awaken one's essential fear of Hashem, simple comprehension will not suffice to make an impression there. For man is not moved by knowledge alone. We see this from the fact that man has long feared Hashem and his punishment on an intellectual level, and yet he is far from having acquired genuine fear of heaven. And so, for the purpose of acquiring true awe of the Almighty, it's necessary that there be a method of study in Musal with an enthused fervor of the soul, with a focused heart, a heart-rending voice, lips aflame. All of these help internalize the Musar concepts with the various senses, and this is very helpful to Musar study affecting the soul greatly with an emotion it generates this is similar to the power of music and song that have transformative powers and can inspire for jo- can inspire for joy and for sadness and so when one reads the words of the sages and musa works in a melancholy voice or a uh, in order to move his soul the heart will be warmed his soul will be roiled all of his senses will be impressed until the fear of Hashem becomes rooted in the nether reaches of his heart. So here Rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, student, Talmid Muvak, one of the other G'dolei Ador, Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, tells us that to have this enthusiasm is not a recommendation, but a requirement. Because knowledge alone of the difference between good and bad is not enough a person must make sure that they actually take the their teachings much more seriously where they have to mentally prepare themselves to the learning where they're looking for diamonds and they're looking to buy those diamonds at any price because those diamonds are going to perfect themselves. Now, the goal, acquiring awe of Hashem. That's the goal. The more awe a person has, the more fear a person has of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the better they become as a person. And he says an interesting thing, that this whole goal of 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 the of the different things that a person will do whether it's repeating the same sentence over and over again or it's visualizing a uh, specific things happening to a person the goal of all of it is to create emotion it's to create emotion similar to how music creates emotion one thing i looked up and saw is that uh, music that I used to listen to when I was younger and spiritually stupider 
called hip-hop music or rap has uh, quickly become the most popular music on earth. In a uh, study that was done, a report that was done by Nielsen Music in the year 2017, it reported that hip-hop music became the number one genre of music in the United States. In a follow-up report by the Music Universe in uh, December 2021, just a month and a half ago, according to the Gregorian calendar, reported that hip-hop music has become the number one genre of music on the planet. Now, interestingly enough, hip-hop music, rap, is many times a individual's portrayal of his worst character traits. First, they show their arrogance of how they are better than everybody else. Everyone else is garbage, they're the best alive, and blah, blah, blah. He is ugly, she is fat, he is this, he is that. That's in essence insulting the world in order to elevate themselves. Second, it shows how people's addiction to materialism. That I don't have to give you examples as the cars and other disgusting portrayals of materialism are a standard across all hip-hop videos and, and, and so on. In fact, if there isn't one of the standards, uh, the uh, uh, examples of immorality, the, the video doesn't see the light of day. Third, it's an expression of anger to the upteen power, literally expressing their anger at the world of how they are being misjudged, how they're you know, under-respected, how they are a victim. They're all victims. They're making $100 million a day, but they're all victims somehow. And every single one of these people is the best, but yet is a victim. Is a, uh, you know, uh, is, 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 uh, has everything, but not enough. And all types of things. And in essence, rap is a known as an angry person's music. It makes, it's by angry people for angry people. And interestingly enough, the reason why I looked it up to see where it stood in regards to popularity is because you have seen the world deteriorate in regards to violence, in regards to people having any type of decency and respect for each other, in regards to school shooting, terrorism, uh, you know, uh, fights, racism, all of the worst things in the world have increased over the last 20 years, directly correlated with the popularity of the angry person's music. I remember when I used to listen to people like Eminem and 50 Cent and DMX and all of the oldies that are still popular to this day, some are alive, some are dead, and it would literally create a anger within me about nothing but i would want to take a fight with something 
I would want to express this anger in one way. So typically I would, you know, express it in working out and lifting weights and playing sports and, and things like that or, or doing all types of things like that. But unfortunately, not everybody uses it for the same thing. Some people use it to give them the stimulation to go play sports and to go lift, I don't know, building over their head. But many times it's not the case. Sometimes he's, uh, that very same music that made him angry is going to cause him to punch somebody in the face. Whether it's a, it's a girl or a boy, it doesn't really make much of a difference. Sometimes it'll lead people to kill. Sometimes a school shooting. Sometimes, uh, you know, murder in different ways. Sometimes it's a, all types of crazy things that have infiltrated the world, including the Jewish world, unfortunately, have come from this genre of music. Now, of course, people are going to say, no, it's, it's, it's any way it's happening. Okay, you can say whatever you want, but there is a direct correlation with the increase in violence in human society the deterioration of morality the deterioration of simply everything that's of any good in the world including the jewish world while at the same time you have an increase in popularity of something that is obviously preaching all of this preaching all of this your average young kid is more inclined to want to be the next big rapper than the next Talmud Chacham, even if he's attending yeshiva many times. Many young Bachurim that come from a more modern type of background, sometimes Hasidish even, listen to rap and think, well, listen, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I just like the music. And they think that the words don't have an impact on them. And sometimes the adults don't realize that these words do have an impact on them. It's direct poison, spiritual poison that teaches kids bad character traits. And unfortunately, at this point, it's already at a stage where it's teaching their parents because your average listener to the hip hop is not just a teenager that uh, just got his braces off. Your average person is in his teens, 20s, 30s and 40s. People that have been listening to rap since its infancy are now in their 40s and 50s. And they're as much into it today as they were back then. And their character traits are even worse today than they were back then many times. This type of music has clearly had an impact on the decision making of people. You saw in the 1990s where there was... Uh, two two coasts in the United States fighting because two rappers disagreed with each other on whatever they decided to write. Because of two individuals, one of them was Tupac, the other one was uh, Biggie Smalls, shootings, crime, gangsters, murder took place, not just killing those two people, but a bunch of other people that had nothing to do with it. Why? Because that music breeds emotion breeds emotion that is much more dominant than the other genres of music generate your average pop song or average lovey-dovey song or country song yeah it has its audience but that audience is not having the same impact on them as the audience of rap as the audience of hip-hop your average guy that's listening to country music typically is not going to shoot up a uh, a school 
your average kid that's listening to some i don't know imadas girl singing about her going to the mall or something is not going to uh, go and uh, kill anybody or fight with anybody over it but your average kid or adult that just listened to one of these rappers talking about killing somebody or 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 being friends with the uh, with the satan or some other sh- strange things they come up with or how they're a gangster and how they're a killer and how they're better than everybody else or whatever other form of nonsense that they deliver to society in order to make them angrier because they themselves are angry that instills an emotion in people it instills an emotion in people so much so that people literally start living their life in such a fashion where they think it's okay to be angry they think it's perfectly normal to be angry they start viewing themselves as victims of society hence the reason why in the last 20 years these organizations whether it be bds or the one the 99 or all these other loser organizations have found an enormous audience enormous audience full of angry people many of them having nothing to be angry about i remember back when 99 percent was uh, was uh, all over wall street many of the people that were being interviewed were children of filthy rich people but they were angry at the rich people yeah once you okay so if you're so angry go and uh, tell your parents to give all the money to the poor people it's the stupidest thing in the world but nonetheless this is what's happening so we see here that when a person listening to something a person listening to something is that influences their emotion needless to say if a person is listening to the words of the sages that are telling him to change that are telling her to change if he's listening to it with an intention to do something to apply it to their life that person can change but they have to be willing they have to be open when a person puts on a rap song they're looking to be receptive at every single word to the point where they want to listen to it over and over again until they memorize every word so they can walk around the street like fools as if they're imagining themselves in a music video if people simply use that same tool for torah and they would actually learn a mishnah and avot they would learn a uh, something in the divrei uh, musal and they would literally read it over and over again listen to themselves over and over again record themselves and then play themselves listening to it or listening to Ashurim or anybody else that speaks the truth they listen to it over and over again guess what little by little have an impact but this time a positive impact that's why Rav Blazer continues and finalizes and says and therefore it's good to review the selection of Musar thoughts many times especially when one encounters a teaching from the sages or a musar thought that one feels in his soul that he will be transformed by it as he takes it into the depths of his heart if he will repeat it fervently several times until it's engraved on his heart then even when walking outside or while laying on his bed this teaching will ring in his ears like a bell never being forgotten 
And my master, the Gaon Mivilna, himself studied Musa works with great fervor, in a very sweet voice inspiring sadness, and sometimes he would repeat one portion with fervor countless times, and whoever heard his voice felt his heart melting to water. And even in his later years, at which point it is said that about Torah scholars that as they age their understanding deepens, he reached great levels of holiness and his soul was almost stripped of any material. The Gra still did not stop studying and contemplating the books of morality with great fervor, often being reduced to tears. See, here we see, Rabotai, that the, the way for a person to learn Musal is not just by superficially listening to it or reading it, but rather preparing themselves mentally before they even start with an intention of taking what they learn and applying it to their life and using different tools that are going to help you memorize it. What tools? Tools that will make you emotionally connected to that teaching. And from there, is we're going to answer the question of why. Why did the sages that we follow teach scary things? Why did they teach Masechet Geenom? Why did they teach that Geenom is a place of pain and punishment, says the Rambam in his introduction to the Mishnah in Masechet Sanhedrin, Perek Chelek. Geenom is a place of pain and punishment that will come to the evildoers. And even though the Talmud did not give us a definitive description of the punishment, they, uh, there are those that say that the sun will approach them and burn them. And their proof is that it's coming from a verse in uh, the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 19, where it says, Behold, the sun of the day is coming, burning like a furnace. This is the Rambam teaching this. In commentary on the Mishnah. Commentary on the Mishnah. Or in other places, you see the sages teaching things about Genom and punishment and what happens in Kafakela and Chibuta and, Kevel and all these different things. Why do they teach these things? Why do they teach us the commentary on Parashat Bechukotai and Kitavo and Chumash? Why do they teach us the intricate details of what the last verse of Isaiah means of how it's eternal Genom? Why do they teach us about how a person that doesn't learn Torah has no share of the world to come and no share of the world to come means eternal Genom? Where when the Chafetz Chaim, when he was young and he went to a hotel on one of his journeys, he happened to uh, uh, sleep in a room next door to Rabbi Yisrael Misalant. And he wanted to know, what does the Gedolador, Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, do at night? This is the Chafetz Chaim telling the story. What does the Gedolador, the Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, do at night? So he went and he listened in to what Rabbi Yisrael Misalant does at night. And in those days they had the keys and the big keyhole, so he was able to see. And Chafetz Chaim tells, he says he saw the old man, Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, passing by endless times, pacing back and forth in his room, repeating the same Mishnah over and over again, that a person that does not learn Torah has no share of the world to come. 
and then going down on the floor, sitting on the floor and crying hysterically as he continues to repeat the very same Mishnah over and over again of how a person does not make time to learn Torah, has no share of the world to come, and he's crying. And this is not a person that didn't learn Torah. This is not a person that did not know what the Shas is or did not know everything in the Torah. This is a person that knew his entire life, but yet he was doing it. And that was one of the things that stood in the mind, engraved into the mind of the Chafetz Chaim, the image that he had of Rabbi Yisrael Misalant. Why did the sages scare themselves endlessly? Why did Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, the Talmid Muvak of the Chafetz Chaim, write the Ikvita the Meshicha, full of scary stuff of what happens to people at the end of days? Of how the people that are going to be punished the worst are going to be the rich people that don't give enough stock of a Torah and give it for fake causes or don't give it all. And how the wicked shepherds, the leaders of the generation, they're the biggest enemy of the people and on and on and on. Why did the sages say so many scary things? And in fact, why did all of the sages that we have, without skipping a beat, whether it's from the world of the Rishonim, the Achronim, the, the Gemara, the Tanaim, the Amoraim, the uh, Hasidut, wherever you go, all of the books that we have today, without exception, if it's someone that covered an extensive part of the Torah, the Rambam, the Ramban, the, the, any one of them, you will see at some point them talking about some scary stuff whether it be details about genom or the punishment for people that do the wrong thing, all types. Why is that the only Torah that we have? And yet today they tell you, listen, someone that speaks scary, he's not mainstream. It's not, it's not for us. Wait, so, so are you telling me that the Rambam is not mainstream? Moshe Rabbeinu is not mainstream? Avraham Avinu is not mainstream. The Zohar Kadosh says that Avraham Avinu taught his guests, the Arabs. He taught them about Genom and what happens in Genom. Moshe Rabbeinu on the way to Mount Sinai taught all of Am Yisrael about Genom and what's going to happen to them if they desecrate Shabbat, one of the first mitzvot that Hashem gave them. A seven-week shiur about Genom. The Midrash says that when Moshe Rabbeinu was shown the uh, uh, Mount Sinai, Kadosh Baruch Hu showed him Genom itself. And Moshe Rabbeinu started crying hysterically because he thought that he's going to stay there. He's never going to leave Gehenom. Why is the Midrash mentioning this scary shiul? Why is the Midrash telling us the details of the punishment and the horrible stuff? Why did all of the sages mention it? Whether it's in their Allahic works, their Musa works, their Midrash works, the Gemara. Why is it all over the place? But yet today you have many people telling you that if you speak scary, you're not mainstream, you're not even welcome. You are fanatic. How could this be? Because Rabotai Karim, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said that to the end of days, the vast majority of the leaders will be the enemy, will be the Erev Rav that's going to try to cool off the generation just like their forefather, the Amalek. Amalek is there to cool off the people. To make them not scared of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The way for us to know that the way to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu begins with fear is by simply looking 
at the works of all of our sages, whether it be the Tanya or be Rabbi Akiva. If you actually look at everything they wrote, you will be scared to death because that's our Torah. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants and that's the Torah that we have in the world because that's the only Torah that has Shaykhut. For Am Yisrael, that's the only Torah that has legs. The Torah that does not have fear is not Torah. It's a full of lies. Because in order for us to connect to the Almighty, it begins with fear of heaven. So therefore, it's foolish for a person to come and look at our shurim, listen to our shurim without an intention to become scared of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But what can we do that sometimes a person doesn't even realize that the whole goal of learning to lie is to fear the Almighty because the more I fear Him, the better I'll serve Him. The more I fear Him, the more likely I am to eventually love Him and His mitzvot. The more I fear Him, the better vessel I become in serving Him because my fear of Him will remove my desires to disobey Him. My fear of Him will remove the desires to obey myself and my own, my own addictions. My fear of Him will make me a better vessel for society where I want to help people because my fear of him will make me love his kids much more even though sometimes his kids are annoying even though sometimes those kids disagree even though sometimes those kids are ungrateful my fear of him makes me love his kids because they're his kids and in fact because I am afraid that they're not afraid when a person understands that the Torah that we have is something that has fear in every single page. And if you read a certain page of Gemara and did not get scared, it's because you didn't understand it. If you read one book full of halacha and you didn't get scared, that means you didn't understand anything. If you read a Musar book and it didn't change your life, you simply did not read anything. You didn't read anything. You just, like a Google, that's all you did. You simply put another book into your basket. If you did not get scared to the point where you've started applying what you've learned into your life, your Torah is not from heaven. Your Torah is not from heaven. Rabbutai Karim, the only Torah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows to stay in the world is a Torah that's full of Yirat Shamaim. The more a person understands what his or her objective in the world, what his or her purpose in the world is, the more they realize that they need to fear the Almighty. And sometimes they have to use special tools to get to that point. Hence the reason why the sages had to give us vivid images of what Ganom looks like. Vivid images of what the decree of death penalty was in Masechet Sanhedrin. How they would throw a person off a second story building and then throw a boulder on top of him and then rocks and all the horrible things that would happen and then, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the burning and the, the, all types of horrific things. It's there to create emotion. So you know this is not just true this is the truth you need to engrave into your heart 
This is the truth that you need to engrave into your heart because this truth is going to keep you out of trouble. Unfortunately, Rabotai, when people do not have the right Masoret or the right teachings, whether it's because of misteachings that was done by people or they to themselves, very, very often they end up disrespecting major sages and unfortunately disrespecting the Torah Kula. Sometimes you'll see people from Hasidut Chabad talk about Arab Shach, Allah Shalom, as if he was Chashva Shalom, Chashva Shalom, a, a wicked person, not realizing that Rav Shach was one of the Gedolei Ador, and despite his a uh, 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 voiceless battle against Chabad's uh, Rebbe, that does not discount his Torah. It's a well-known story that a woman said it herself that she came to Rav Shach and she told him, "For the Rav, I'm sick, and the surgery they want to give me is life danger. It's a life danger, and I don't know what to do." I have kids at home. I have a husband who learns Torah. What do I do? Rav Shach tells her, you don't worry. I promise you, you're going to live. She went, she had the surgery, and she died on the surgery table. They announced her dead. They wrote the paperwork. They saw a dead person after some time passed this very same dead person came back to life and told a story she says i went up to shemaim in the bedding of shemaim they told me your time has come and it was decreed in shemaim for you to die this way it wasn't because of the surgery just that was your time that's it but then Arab Shach shows up to the Bedin and he says I apologize your honor but I told her she's not gonna die the Bedin talks amongst each other Said if Rav Shach Paskin, you're not gonna die, we have to bring you back into your body. And this is what she said with a death certificate in her hand. Said Rav Shach, that's still alive. We're up to Shemai. And they agreed to give me more time because Rav Shach said I'm not gonna die. To go and say bad things or anything lower than complete fear of the sage that lived among us regular men obviously shows a lackings in fear of the almighty because if a person is afraid of hashem surely he fears his messengers in the old days the customs of the Yemenites were something that were foreign 
to many around the world because the world wasn't like it is today. But in the last 70 years, many people have been introduced to different customs that the Yemenites have that are different to what they were used to, especially if you come from the Ashkenazi world or different parts of the Western society. You see that the Yemenites do certain things and to you it's foreign. And unfortunately, sometimes people say, oh, listen, they're, they're like a third world country. Chas v'shalom, that such stupid words will come out of your mouth. Some of the greatest sages that ever lived on this planet came from Yemen. Some of the greatest traditions we have come from Yemen. But people are easy to mock anything that is different than what they're familiar with. Little kids, six years old, already knew the entire written Torah. We wish that our kids would know the entire Torah at any age. Years ago, there was a priest, uh, a, a prince that was very fond of the Jewish people, and so was his father, the king. In Yemen and it would come visit the Jewish people from time to time and the Jewish people showed them a lot of respect the problem was that the prince's guards were anti-semitic wicked and the most critical thing in their mind was to find a way to hurt the Jewish people without getting in trouble by the prince or his father the king one of the things that would constantly remind them of the hatred they had for the for the uh, Jews was that one of the main advisors to the king was a Yemenite Jew and the king respected him a lot because he was very very smart of course the wisdom of the Torah is something that affects all all uh, parts of a person's life and the king would listen to his advice and respect him no less than anybody else and many times more than everybody else and these guards these wicked guards Ahmad and Muhammad hated the Jewish people and were looking for a way to kill this advisor were looking for a way to hurt the Jewish people and one day they decided on a plan of what they can do the time was pulling and they decided to tell the prince why don't we go and visit the Jewish people this time of year they have their celebrations this was the first day of Purim. people were preparing cooking excited happy getting ready to read the Megillah community was united suddenly they hear the horse is coming in and the prince is there and people came out we're excited to see the prince he said your highness please please let us help you come down from the horse and join us let us host you very kind people the Yemenites they love having guests these two Arabs Muhammad and Ahmad knew this and as soon as the Yemenite Jews reached out to take down the uh, the uh, prince from his horse. Muhammad and Ahmad 
acted as if they were trying to kidnap him or take him and started creating some commotion and then took one of their swords and pretended as if they're going to hit a Jew, kill a Jew, but it went straight into the heart of the prince. And as soon as that was done, they said, ah, see you guys are murderers, you just killed the prince. The Yemenite Jews that did not even own a weapon on them. So what are you talking about? We didn't do anything. But they knew that no one's going to believe them. Immediately these two Rishayim rode back to the king and told them about his only son being murdered by the Jews. After screaming and yelling in agony, the king called his advisors, including the Jewish advisor, and told them, go and surround the entire community of the Jews and tell them that if they do not bring the murderer to me, in three days, I'm going to kill every single one of them and burn their houses. Of course, the Jewish advisor tried to talk to the king, but to no avail as he was not listening to anyone that was remotely close to the Jewish people. The two guards that actually murdered the prince were happy to make matters worse they took the body of the prince and brought it to the kingdom and left the casket open as the king was crying the jewish people knew that this is a nightmare knew that this is a disaster and the sages in the yemenite community decreed a three-day fast both children and adults fasted during this time praying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for mercy praying for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to help them on the third day but before the fast was over for everyone everyone was crying in the synagogue and praying young boy named Chaim told his mother please give me some food I'm hungry the mother rebuked her son and said no how could you be asking for food right now we have something terrible it's about to happen the deadline is here the king is going to want to know who murdered him even though it's not a Jew but he thinks it is Chaim told his mother Hashem is going to help us and therefore there's no more reason for us to fast The mother did not want to know what to do, and so she brought the boy to one of the Chachamim. And she said, my son wants to eat, what do I do? And the big Chacham says to the boy, why do you want to eat? He says, because Hashem is going to help us. And there's no reason to fast anymore. So the sage asks the boy, Chaim, how do you know Hashem is going to help us? He says, because right after I eat, I'm going to go to the king's palace. And I'm going to prove to him who murdered the boy, who murdered the prince. The sage saw that the boy is talking serious. They gave him something to eat and they went to the king's palace. It was the sage, the boy, 
and he advised it to the king. The prince's body was still there in a tomb. The king was crying. And the boy comes to the uh, king and says to him, I'm going to prove to you exactly who killed your son. People started laughing at the young boy. Except the king. The boy takes out a scroll with the words emit. Aleph Mem Taf written on the scroll. He takes the scroll and he puts it in the mouth of the prince. Moments later, the prince gets up and the boy asks him, Who murdered you? The prince immediately points to the two guards. The two guards get a shock of their life, fall on their knees, and start begging for their life after admitting that they actually murdered the prince. Of course, the king does not have any mercy on them and orders to kill them immediately. The boy takes the scroll out of the prince's mouth. The letter Aleph was erased in the process, leaving only two letters on it. Mem Taf Met, which means dead. And a big Kiddush Hashem is spread among all of Yemen because of this young little Yemenite boy named Chaim, who not only grows up to become one of the Chachamim of Yemen, but also is the one behind the custom that the Yemenites had and may still have to this day, of having a Purim for two days rather than one day. When people know the details behind why different sages said what and why different parts of Am Yisrael have a custom to do what, it gives them more of a reason to connect rather than to separate. But if a person is only going to look for perfection based on what they see in the mirror, that means that all the Torah they've learned until that point has not been a Torah that has actually helped their life, but rather has been a Torah that is like a death sentence, a death potion, because they're not implementing the Torah into their life. The Torah is something that they're using to become more arrogant, to think that they're better, to think that they're above the law, to think that they can change the law, to think that they don't need to be scared of Hashem, to think that Hashem owes them something. Literally to think all of the things that are the opposite of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed into this world that we're supposed to do. To be mainstream today means to be against Hashem. To teach things without fear of the Almighty is teaching things that are simply not of Hashem's. This is the reason why the sages in previous generation had to take the time to write and tell different parts of the Torah that would scare people to death. All being true, all being necessary. In our generation, 
since we don't have the we don't have the kedusha of the previous generation we have to use whatever tools we can sometimes those tools will be scary videos sometimes those tools will be a raised voice sometimes a bang on the table and sometimes even tears a person that cares about his people and cares about the Torah itself is going to apply the very same lessons that he's teaching into his own life because he knows that the first student that he has to work on is himself you see Rabotayikarim, if you're watching lectures but staying the same sometimes it's the speaker's fault sometimes it's yours either way you cannot continue to do the same thing and expect a different result it's time to change change requires action the Rambam writes in his chuvot that were put together in several different Chachamim put them together in the responses one of the publications called Blau based on the Chacham that put it together has the Tshuva of the Rambam has the answer of the Rambam to different Shailot different questions that he was asked in a publication of Blau in Chelek Bet Siman 261 the Rambam is asked a question about the significance of the kriya mizmorim all of the different songs if you will of prayer that we have at the you know beginning of the tefillah and the rambam writes to this simple one-line question about 30 or more lines of answers where initially he says beautiful it's teachings of musar that is going to help a person aim their heart to have kavana when they're praying but he didn't believe that it was necessary for a person to do this in a shul in fact he thought that it'd be a mistake to do it in shul because people should do this at home should already be prepared to pray before they even get to shul because if we make everybody do this in the synagogue perhaps it could make it difficult for certain people elders or people that uh, are weak or even somebody that was just circumcised that day like a convert or someone that wasn't circumcised as a young person he mentions these people if you make uh, the the tefillah so long they may not come or they may suffer from it or if they come late but he says the bigger mistake is is that people spend a lot of their time singing instead of focusing their kavana on the main tefillah and so when it comes to getting to the main part of the tefillah that's an obligation they start hurrying up and reading it abruptly reading it as fast as possible and clearly making a mistake of all mistakes the Rambam says because if they really believed that they were praying to God 
asking him for help, praising him for his majesty, admiring his ability, thanking him. If they really thought they were praying to God, then where would they get the idea that it's good to hurry this part up? And he says a person who does not rebuke his chazan, the cantor, for praying too fast the parts that are supposed to be prayed with full kavana, person doesn't rebuke him as a sinner, says the Rambam. Because surely we know, says the Rambam, that avodat Hashem, the servitude of Hashem with the mouth, is only being fulfilled if a person has full intention to delve into the words and know their meaning. Because if you don't have that kavana, and you just pray fast just for the sake of finishing, then the decree, the judgment on that prayer, says the Rambam, is the prayer of a drunk or a parrot that simply repeats what they heard somebody tell them to say. Here the Rambam is trying to tell us that we're really supposed to have a lot of kavana in every part of our prayer and that's actually what the goal of the psukeh de zimra it's supposed to be musar teachings and different things that are going to scare you in order to prepare you one example is when we pray in the beginning of shachrit where it says la'olam yireh adam yireh shamayim basetru bagalui that a person should always be fearing of heaven in private and in public and always admit to the truth. Here the Sidu that we all read talks us talks about how aside from a who's extraordinary kindness and greatness, we also have to recognize our, our own limitation, how we are nothings. How we depend on a Kadosh Baruch Hu. How our existence is of is inconsequential to him. That although he loves us, he doesn't need us. That everything is for his sake, for the honor of his name. What are we? What is our life? What is our kindness? What is our righteousness? What is our power? What is our might? What can we possibly have to say in front of you, Hashem, our God, the God of our forefathers? That all of the heroes are like nothing in front of you. That the people of fame of the past is as if they never existed. The wise were as if was as if they had no knowledge, and the intelligence was as if they had no understanding. All of our actions are void, and the days of our lives are worthless. Why? Why do we say these horrible things to start off the day? Because these are the type of things that, when a person understands what it said, it softens their heart and prepares it to connect to the Almighty. So of course we're not at the level to be like the Rambam and have full kavana with every single word. And it's amazing to hear stories 
of different Chachamim that did have Kavana. Like the Rosh Yeshiva that Rabbi Ephraim had when he was a young boy in Yeshiva, Rabbi Baruch Solomon, who had so much Kavana when he would pray the Psuke de Zimra with tears and agony that by the time they got to Amidah, he did not have the strength to get up. He would have to have help. He would have to grab something. Try it at home one time. To have full kavana in every word that you pray in the morning. The biggest manual labor in the world is nothing in comparison. The point is that although we know we may not be at a level to have kavana in every word that we pray. Our Fahim teaches us that at the very least, if we can't pray like that, let's not learn like that. Let's not continue listening to Shurim without Kavanah. Let's not continue reading books without Kavanah. Let's not continue looking for something to calm us down. Let's not continue lying to ourselves and think that we have done enough. All of us have to do tshuva. Whether you are a new Baal tshuva or you're from, from birth. Whether you are a Talmidini Yeshiva, an Avrech, or Rabbi. If you're alive, it's time to do tshuva. The quicker a person understands it and starts applying it to their life, the quicker they're back on the right direction that will be full of blessing and Bezat Hashem success. Thank you for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of us to succeed in fulfilling every words of the sages the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to. Because at the end of it all, it's for us. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.